There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. To Genesis chapter 29, going to be opening up to verse 28. I'm going to try and cover a, a bit of, uh, of scripture today, so I'm going to try and cover quite a bit of it. Um, so with that, uh, Genesis chapter 31, verse 16, we have this amazing advice given to Jacob, and it says, Now then, whatever God has said to you to do, do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this morning. And Lord, I just pray that as we uh, come to you right now, God, that we would hear your voice, hear you speak. And Lord, whatever you are calling us to do, that whatever you are telling us to do, that we would do it and walk in the peace of knowing that you see us and are with us wherever we go. We love you and praise you. In your son's name, amen. So as we looked at last week, we saw this, this uh, not karma as the, the Eastern and in a lot of the world adopts, but this idea biblically of reaping and sowing. And we had seen that, that Jacob, the heel grabber trickster, the, the one who had deceived his blind dad to inherit a blessing, uh, was then had, had fallen madly in love with a girl named Rachel. And falling in love, he, he came having no money and offered for her dad to... to to give him seven years of free labor uh, essentially to, to keep that money as a dowry for her and that he would work seven years for free to earn the right to marry Rachel, who he loved. And then what we saw is that, that Laban actually being quite the conniving trickster himself, really the uncle of all tricksters, uh, is what he ends up doing is he does a switch where he switches Leah the older daughter for Rachel. And, and, and in doing so, we see a beginning of, of, of this moment in Jacob's life of, of really being broken down and having to be reminded that any means of the flesh will always produce a fruit of the flesh. And so we come with that to Genesis uh, chapter 29, verse 28. Then it says, then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. What it's talking about here is as we ended is that really Laban didn't even try and hide what he did. He just justified it. Oh, you know, did I not tell you it's our custom that the, the older has to marry the younger? Hey, I know. Why don't you work another seven years for me? And then that way you'll have Leah and Rachel. And, and so that's exactly what we see taking place. It says, so then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, speaking of Leah. So he gave him his daughter, Rachel, as wife also. Then Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter, Rachel, as the maid. Then Jacob also went uh, to Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. 
in the King James, it actually uses uh, the words that, that Jacob hated Leah. And again, what we see in this last week is that clearly Jacob loved Rachel in, in here, but he, he doesn't really have a love for Leah. Yet what we're going to see here by this sentence is, is that, that Leah's womb was opened and Rachel was barren. What does that tell us? It tells us that even though Jacob did not love Leah, he certainly had no problem sleeping with her. And he used her in that way. And that that in itself proves a hateful attitude. That is what it means to hate somebody, to use them with no consideration. And in this way, there is nothing more hatred, hateful that Jacob could have done. It says in verse 32 that Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. So as we see here, she has her first son from Jacob. Says, now my husband will love me. Second son, Simeon. I am still unloved by my husband. Third son. Levi, he has to love me. And fourth son, my husband doesn't love me, but God does. And, and right here, what, what something needs to be so clearly communicated and so known by you guys today, sex doesn't equal love. Having sexual intercourse, clearly by what we see with Leah here, it does not prove or demonstrate true love. That, that love it is, is an intimacy and a togetherness. There's an episode of a show called Catfish, uh, a show where people meet online and they're wanting to find out if the person on the other side of the screen is really who they say they are. And there's a really sad episode where uh, this woman who's actually married has been speaking to another man online and, and she's considering leaving her husband but wants to know if the person on the other side is really who they say they are. And through this episode, there's this whole thing and what you end up coming to find out is in almost like that famous song, Do You Like Pina Coladas, is there's this moment where you find out that the person who was catfishing, and there was someone catfishing, this woman was actually her own husband. That even though that they were a married couple together, there was a breakdown of the intimacy and he was pretending to be somebody else to truly connect with his wife. And there she felt a real intimacy, a togetherness. And yet it was this person. So again, this physical act of sex does not equal love. In fact, we see that in fact, it can be very hateful as Jacob was sleeping with Leah, even though it says he didn't love her and the way that he loved Rachel and even Leah having to come to that. Now it says in verse 30, when, uh, in chapter 30, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister. Now that's going to be a key word that I want us to, to hone in on. It is that she envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Now I want us to think back again to, to Abraham and Sarah. Remember Sarah, the wife coming to Abraham, feeling broken, feeling broken and, and, and seeking 
to, to hear from her husband. I feel like I, I failed you. And, and like Abraham, you know, we, we see Jacob here not seeking God and how to respond, but acting out of the flesh. And he says, well, well, I'm not God. Again, when we think about the difference, we think back to actually Jacob's dad, Isaac, because remember when Rebecca had this struggle uh, inside of her when she wasn't bearing it, it says that Isaac went to God and prayed and, and spoke that into Rebecca's life. But yet here, Jacob in anger uses God's name. And you could say, well, isn't what he's saying true? Well, yeah, it is true. What he's saying is he's not God and he has no control over that. But we can use God's word to either heal somebody or hurt them. And it comes with, what do we do when someone's in pain? Do we take it before God? Do we pray for them? Or do we just miss, well, well, I'm not God, you deal with it. It says in verse 3, so she said, here's my maid Bilhah. Is this starting to sound familiar to anyone? Here's my maid Bilhah. Go unto her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as wife. And Jacob went into her. So here's something else. Human physical intimacy in, in, in sexual relations doesn't prove love. However, I want you to understand what God says here is that Bilhah, the maid, by this act of sexual relations, God says, that's your wife. Now, now this is going to happen in scripture where you're going to see God will, will mention things. And just because it's mentioned biblically does not mean that it is a biblical principle or something that God is, is condoning it even for. Instead, it's just a, a, a revealing of what's going on in these people's life but there is a revealing of god's view of sex though through jacob not being something loving he is saying that act that's for married people and you're acting as though you are husband and wife because this is exactly where he intended it says there in hebrews that the marriage bed is undefiled and so here as is now jacob is sleeping with bilhah the maid she is now wife and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he also heard my voice and had given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. And Rachel's made Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Now, remember, it says that, that Rachel was envious of her sister. And she thinks in this heart of envy that, that God is in this. And, and so she is, she's, she's saying that, that, see, God has blessed me. He's heard. And again, just because God is either allowing or revealing something here by what's happened in scripture, just because it's recorded in the Bible does not make it a godly or biblical principle. Again, a, a biblical account is not always a direct application of how we are to live. In fact, sometimes it's very much on how not to be. Again, something that, that I want to make incredibly clear is, again, this is, this is just in a way that the Bible will mention slavery. This is in no way should be taken that the Bible endorses or that God is pro-slavery. And that's something so clear and yet such twisted. And that's exactly what's happening here is an envious heart believes because they, they've received some sort of uh, uh, what they believe perceived blessing out of this. That somehow God's in that. Again, that is so far off from the truth. God, God, God being in and for something and God directing something is something completely different than God just using something. That is something that is, those aren't, aren't mutually inclusive. In fact, 
just because God allows something does not mean that God is in it. God is always in control. He cannot be gone around and he cannot be tricked or foiled. That is something that we need to understand so much right here in this day and age. God cannot be gone around. He sits on the throne. No matter what our life circumstances uh, are going on and no matter what's going on in the world around us right now, God is in control. But by stating that God is in control, that doesn't mean that God is for and in everything in the sense that he is wanting it to happen, but it says that he works the good of all who love him and that God will use every situation for his name to be glorified. In fact, that's told to us in Romans chapter 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, how do we know then if God is, is allowing something or, or God is in something? The fruit. Galatians 5, 22, verse 23. But the fruit of of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. But Rachel was in a place of envy, a place that says, I want what you have, and I don't think that you deserve what you have, so I'm going to try and take that, whether it's a possession, whether it's a status, whether it's a power, that is a, an evil, prideful heart of envy that puffs someone up to say, I should be in your place. I should have what you have, and I will take it by any means necessary, including, once again, using a woman for the very thing that was done to Leah. Now, Ray. Rachel does to Bill Haw, showing no love and using somebody for personal gain. Verse 9 says, when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. And he would just see Leah Poor Leah, she, she gets pulled, she gets pulled into this, this heart of envy and this game of using it. It's so sad because the very thing that was done to her, now she's going to do it to her maidservant. Man, the heart of man, so prone to wonder. Where was that content woman who said, I know that God loves me? She got pulled into this game of, of power and possession and looking at earthly circumstances and earthly situations. It says now in verse 14, that Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. So, so time has passed. Obviously, Reuben is not a baby. He's got seven brothers, uh, goes and picks some of uh, these flowers. But these, these flowers, they, they have a root that's believed to help with like making babies or like a fertility fruit. And Rachel comes to her sister and asks for the fertility fruit thing and says, uh, but she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to him uh, to meet him and said, you must come into me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. We're seeing the mess here. There's no, no peace, no love, just anger and envy. And Jacob and all of this sleeping with these different women is reduced to a prostitute paid with by, by 
flower root, reducing such an amazing gift of God of sexual intimacy as the marriage bed is undefiled and reducing it down to flower root. It says there in verse 17 that God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. So again, there's something very ironic that happens here as Rachel trying to use fleshly means selling her husband's sexual intimacy to her sister with these flower roots so that she could somehow herself have a child. And again, the great irony is while Rachel's trusting in flowers and devalues the intimacy with her husband, it's Leah who ends up getting pregnant again. As I'm here to tell you something that I know so personally true, fertility is completely in God's hands. Verse 22 says, then God remembered Rachel and listened to her. And again, think back all the way to the days of Noah when we thought, we looked at that word remember. It's not like God forgot. It says that God's attention, God's attention was towards. It's God's attention is turned toward Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. And that will be true. In fact, this family, these people, it's, it's such a mess. But look at how God has used them. Now let's run down this again. This family is that Leah uh, ends up having Reuben, si uh, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And then Bilhah, uh, Rachel's maid, has Dan and Naphtali. Then Leah's maid, Zilpah, ends up having Gad and Asher. And Leah then has... Gets, Pregnant again, it has Issachar, Zebulun, and then even Dinah. Rachel then at this last uh, moment here in, in this chapter is, is that she is pregnant with Joseph and, and gives birth to Joseph and will eventually give birth to Benjamin. Now we see within all this envy, just a breakdown of, of, of true intimacy and love. And even within all this, I, I hope you guys heard something, is because we have moments in our life where we just make a mess of things, just like this family. We get ourselves off with envious and uh, desires and fleshly desires. Pride gets in the way. And when we truly submit our lives to God, he can and will use you. For those right now who might be in a place where you, maybe you feel unloved, maybe you feel looked over, uncared for. If you've ever felt unloved. I want you to know if you're feeling that way right now, God loves you. And just as a, a thing to put into a, a bit of perspective is Leah throughout this chapter over and over starts off not feeling loved and kind of see this theme throughout the relationship with Jacob. And yet, if you caught this, this family that would become the nation of Israel from these 12 sons, it's from Leah the wife who was used, unloved by her husband, that God will use to bring forth the tribes of Levi, the tribe of the priests, 
the tribe of Judah, the king's line, the line of the Messiah. And it will be Jacob who at his dying days be buried with his wife, Leah. So for anyone who's ever felt unloved, uncared for, know you have a God who sees you, he cares for you. He will use you. We commit our lives to him. Now we're going to move fairly quickly through kind of the, the rest of uh, chapters 30 through 31. And as we look through here, it starts off with this agreement before, between Jacob and Laban. And when does it happen? It says that, uh, and it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. And so Jacob is coming to Laban saying, look, I've, I've been working for you. I've worked for you, you know, over 14 years. I've got nothing to my name. I've got my family here. I've got my 12 kids, soon to be 13 with Benjamin uh, down the road. But he's got his 12 kids with his 11 sons and his one daughter. And he said, I've got nothing to my name. And, and Laban says, well, what can I do? Can I increase your pay? He's like, I don't, I don't want an increase in pay. I want to have something to provide for my own family. I want a home. I want to go back to my father's land. And, and Laban says, well, what can I give you? What can I do to convince you? He's like, I don't, I don't want a handout. But, I, you know, I've made you very wealthy. How about this? We'll make a deal to where you take all just the pure white of the flock. You, you take the, the lamb and the sheep who, who, are, who are pure white, and then I'll take the, the streak spotted and speckled ones and that you know out of that growth that will be my earnings that i will build upon for my family and Laban says oh that sounds like a great idea you know what i'm right there with you that sounds like a fantastic idea you know what laban's next move is he takes all the streak spotted and speckled lambs he gives them to his sons and sends them a three days journey away as if to say well i don't want you to start off with any kind of benefit i don't want them mixing so Jacob has to get spotted, speckled, and streak lambs out of this all-white crew. And then we're actually going to find out that God comes to him in a dream. It says that in, in chapter 31, you find out that God comes to him and tells him to do something. And he tells him to, to take uh, that these, these different uh, types of, of rods. It says in, in verse 37 of uh, uh, chapter 30 it says now, now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and the almond and, and chestnut trees and peeled uh, white strips in them and, and exposed the white which was uh, in the rods and, and what he does is he puts them in the troughs before the sheep and something interesting happens and what we see again by chapter 31 is it, because when you go through it there's no real scientific uh, you know, zoology explanation to why this happens, but God directs them to put these branches in the water troughs and that when they come and they meet before the water troughs in, in, in front of these rods, that these white sheep start producing streaks, spotted and speckled lambs. And so then that, that becomes a great uh, abundance. In fact, that then using his knowledge of, of, of breeding is that when he sees just the strong, healthy uh, sheep is, is that that those are the ones that, that he ends up putting those rods in front of and ends up, Jacob ends up getting a really strong, vibrant, abundant growth. And that we find out is that this is something that, that God is blessing him in. In fact, in verse 43, it says, thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants and camels. And what we see here is again, this was Jacob not using, God had given him some wisdom to, to, to figure out the breeding, but the overall plan was something that God gave him to do. 
And so we see that God was faithful to his promise, not because Jacob is some morally great good guy, but because God is such a good God and God had made a promise to Jacob. And God keeps his promises and his promises are based on his character, not ours. And so God had told him, look, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take you to the land and I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. Just as I told you I would do that when you commit your life to me, that I promise to be with you. And we see a faithfulness to God's character, not basing his promises on our actions, but solely on who he is. Now, as verse 31 starts off, uh, chapter 31, it says that, that Jacob heard uh, the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that our father uh, was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has acquired all his wealth. We see again that word envy creeping in. See, even though Laban had tried to do this tricky thing of sending the, the spotted streak and speckled lambs with the sons, now the sons are, are after some time looking back and they're saying, how will the, look, Jacob's getting this great wealth, but really that's, that's all of our dad's stuff, that, that Jacob's taking from our dad and, and all of that wealth, that, 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 doesn't, that should be his, that that should be ours. And again, that envy, it's not just jealousy, it's saying we should be in your position. And I think I should have what you have. And I'm going to go by any means by which I can to take that from you. You know, James tells us that envy is not some little thing. In fact, James 3.16 says, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. See, to anyone who, who has this idea that, you know, because that there's some uh, level of disparity, that because someone has more than you do, that you have some right to say, well, that must mean that you've acquired it by some evil, wrong means. I should be in your spot and I'm going to take what you have. That is evil. That is clearly being seen by around us. But again, those who try and use this idea of disparity in wealth, in prestige, in position, in power, and that envious evil heart says, I should have what you have, and I'm going to take it from you. Again, guys, understand evil is not some little thing. It's something that God wants to deliver us from. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasure, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another, Guys, envy is no small sin. It's not something to, to just, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. It's, it's, it's not like hurting somebody. Oh, it is. In fact, we're told in Matthew that it was envy that would take Jesus to the cross. Matthew chapter 27, verse 18. For he, Jesus, knew that they handed him over because of envy. See, the religious leaders saw Jesus' authority and power and prestige, and, and they saw the way he worked in people's lives, and they said, I want that. I want to be in that position of power. I want to be in that place. Like that ancient dragon and serpent of old who said, I want to be on the throne. I want to sit on the mountaintop. I want to be like the most high, and I want to sit on the mountain." That heart of evil, that is where every evil, see, it's a, it's a pride in someone's self that says, I should have more than, I should be in that place. I should be over you. And again, anyone who tries to use these, these notions of disparity, meaning it has to be oppression, it is envious, it is pride, it is satanic. 
And we do not get to treat people based on those things. We don't get to justify sins of partiality with an evil heart because we think that somehow we're overcoming this disparity. The poor will have with us always, just as God has blessed those he has decided to bless. There will always be somebody who has that position. And and, and to think otherwise is to get stuck in a cycle of hate and malice. The beauty is that Jesus took all of that on him on the cross. See, instead, we're told by the book of Philippians not to think more highly as we ought, but to esteem others better than ourselves. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, we're told that love suffers long and is kind and does not envy. As we continue there in chapter, verse 3 of chapter 31, it says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. We have that same promise today. We have a God who says, Trust me. I will be with you. Not that our, our temporary circumstances will have some change, but to know that our eternal one is fixed in Christ and that we have a God who sees us and loves us and is standing right there with us. It says that then Jacob, in this situation, he goes to his wives and basically ends up telling them and says, look, you, you know what's happened. You know how I've served with your dad for like 20 years and he keeps changing my wages that, that you know, he, he, he did the seven things. He, you guys know he did the wife swap thing and, and now he, he moved the speckled away and it, 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 God's blessing me. And now, he, now he's like getting angry with me. Now, now somehow it's my fault that God has blessed me in this way and somehow I've I've had to have done something wrong and, and that God told me that, you know, he was going to bless me and that we need to get out of this area and we need to leave. And again, that he says that God had told him to arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. There in verse 13, to know that God again sees you and cares for you. And, and yes, even following God, bad things will happen. But he has promised to always be with you, to never leave you nor forsake you. And it says here that now then Rachel and Leah, in a very interesting moment of unity, they say, look, our, our dad has already spent our dowry. You're right. He treats us as if we're not even family. We're like strangers to him. And they come to him in verse 16 and say, for all the riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. I think about Mary as Jesus performing his first miracle. She looked at the disciples and said, whatever he says to you to do, do it. This is the best advice that could ever be given. If God has told you to do something, and you will know by the fruit it bears, by that peace, by that love, and that that is something that will bless others. That's not just, as we talk about that peace and that love, that's not just a fruit that we eat upon, but actually it's a fruit born out of our lives that others will find peace and love. And consistent with his word, if God has told you to do it, then do it. This great advice by Rachel and Leah. And one of the only few times we'll probably see these two women really agree on something. 
it says that basically what he ends up doing is, is Jacob, you know, he, he could have had this moment of, of knowing and having the peace of God is going to Laban and describe to him, this is what's going to happen. He, he kind of slides into his fleshly moment. He goes into the sneaky things and says that what he ends up doing is he actually ends up kind of gathering the family together at night and they take off and they bolt. And again, what we see is, is what ends up happening is that in this mad rush of, okay, let's sneak off in the night is that Rachel it says in verse 19, it said, now Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. Now, I just want to throw this out there. If your God can be stolen, you've got the wrong God. It says that then they, it says in verse 20, that Jacob stole away unknown to Laban, the Syrian, and that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. He didn't stand on the confidence of what God had done. He didn't remember that just in the same way Laban had tried to, you know, take from him and, and, and change his wage and was being tricky, but God still blessed him instead of being reminded of that and secure in that and what God had done in his life, he went into his, his fleshly nature. And what we see here is, is how we go about obeying God is really important. It, it makes me think of, you know, uh, when a parent asks the child to do something like take out the trash. If you do it with a bad attitude, and you're throwing stuff around, the parent's like, well, that's no good. You might as well have not have done it at all. I mean, you still need to obey because I told you what to do, but your bad attitude, it, it's not like I'm happy about this. It's the same thing with giving. God says he loves a cheerful giver. If he doesn't want you to give begrudgingly. If giving of your time, if giving of your, your, your life, if giving of your finances to God is something you do begrudgingly. All right, God, here. I don't want that. Keep that. How we obey is so important, and it should always stem from the confidence of knowing that God is faithful to his word, and that it's not some magical recipe to follow, but knowing that God is consistent to his character, and that his, his commands have amazing blessings, because God is faithful to his word. And again, how we go about obeying is really important, and even in, in, in our obeying him by our sinful nature we can actually get tainting things see rachel sees that jacob's running off with her and the kids and she figures well maybe i'll just run off with dad's idols did she trust god was it was this a was this a, a, a holding on to an old religion or just a financial was this a stick it to dad but for whatever reason it's, it's going to end up you know being this thing that becomes a just a, a blow up in their face and this again if someone can run off with your god You've got the wrong guy. So they take off and <clears throat> excuse me, they're, they're, they're about three days journey away. And that Laban ends up finding out that, hey, Jacob just took off with all the, that livestock that he had. He took off with the kids. And again, Laban was someone who kept trying to keep Jacob there. And, and, and now Jacob's, uh, Laban's mad. He's mad. And he's running after Jacob. And God appears to him. And God says to Laban, you're not going to touch him. In fact, I don't even want you to talk to him badly. I mean, again, Laban is mad. But God, who has been directing Jacob, warns Laban not to interfere with Jacob's life. I mean, how awesome is our God? I mean, look at, look at Laban. He, he's this greedy, trickstable, horrible father, idol worshiper. And at this moment, he's a clear enemy of Jacob. He's an enemy to the would-be nation of Israel. And it's to this man that God reveals himself. Think about another man 
who stood in opposition to the family of God, a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. We have an amazing God that even at our lowest, most failured moments in our lives, is a God who reveals and wants himself to be known by you. It says that as he overtakes them, that, that Jacob or Laban tries to do this, this silly story thing. He says, well, why did you run off? You know, you didn't even let me kiss my grandkids or my, or my granddaughters. He says, I would have sent you off with some great party, which I highly doubt. I highly doubt, but the truth is, if we are confident in God's will, if we're confident we're in God's will, then we shouldn't move in fear. Jacob, he responded out of fear, but yet he, he knew that it was God who was calling him to. He could have confidently gone to Laban and said, look, God's told me to do this. Whatever you think you're going to do, you've got to do what you've got to do, but I'm going to follow what God has told me to do. And let that be a piece that actually is a fruit that is to be enjoyed and blessed others. I mean, right, whenever you watch any kind of movie or television show, any time there's like a major drama, it's like almost rooted always in miscommunication. It's like there's this lack of communication. It's like, you know, well, I would have told you about this or that. I would have told you about this situation, but I was afraid of how it would make you feel. And it always blows up. That's just what happens here. Now, what I love in this moment is this is another one of those moments where we've seen again where God has used these, these pagan rulers like these kings of Egypt to remind those who call themselves followers of his that how we act and obey is being seen by the world and it matters. So I love when in these moments where God uses non-believers to correct believers. It's a very humbling place to be. And God is definitely using Laban here to humble Jacob. And so Laban goes on and says, look, I, I could have overtaken you. I could have thrown you down. Uh, you know, I, I could have done, but, but God told me not to, to harm you. And, and why did you have to steal my gods anyway? There's, you know, there's a moment where people, <clears throat> if you've ever been in discussions with people, well, well they bring things up and they'll say, it's like, are you, are you listening to what you're saying? Did you hear what you just said? You asked who stole your God. Again, if your God can be stolen, You've got the wrong God. And then Jacob goes off and he ends up telling him, well, I did this because I was afraid. Again, if we're confident in, in that we're following God's will, that we're in God's will, then you don't have to be afraid. Just like those three men, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, as they were told to bow down to a golden uh, statue of Nebuchadnezzar, he said, we're not going to bow. We're not going to bow. And you do what you're going to do. You know, if God wants to, he can protect us. So we're not going to allow fear to taint our following and walk with God. Now, Jacob gets a little upset here. And he, he, he kind of goes off. And again, Jacob's he's upset. He's afraid. And he speaks a little too quickly. He ends up saying something. You know what? Go ahead. Look around the camp. And if you find the idol with anybody, you can kill them. And I wonder if Rachel gets a little big-eyed at this moment. Heart starts pumping. It's just a good lesson for all of us. It's to say, what do you do when you're in a place of fear, anxiety? Maybe, you know, a little bit anger. Those are not always the best times for us to making decisions like killing somebody. Laban goes through and he's searching through everything and, and he can't find anything. And he comes to Rachel and, and Rachel ends up saying, oh, sorry, dad, I, 
it's, it's my time of the month. And so I got to sit right here because she had stuck the idol underneath her and she's sitting on the idol. Sorry, dad, I can't get up. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sitting on this. Okay. So now Rachel is a thief and a liar. And I'm sure it's because her husband just said, if you find the idol, kill him. And so just as Jacob, again, acting out of fear, it ends up reverberating. Your choices are not self-isolated. They have effect. What fruit are you producing that others are going to eat from? And she was afraid. And, and, and so it begs the question, looking at Jacob and out here, Rachel, who are you when the pressures of life come at you? You know, if you've ever uh, pressed flowers, I don't know if any of you ever did this when you were in school, so you, you take either between books or they have these like flower press things. If you've ever like smashed flowers, have you ever done that? A lot of times when you're smashing them, there's like, there's just this aroma that comes off of it, right? There's this, there's this sweet smell. But maybe you've also had this happen another way where you're walking down the street, walking through the grass playing, and you step in something, it mushes under your feet, and like instantly there's this nasty smell, and you know exactly what you've stepped in if you stepped in animal stuff. See, the question is, is what smell does your life produce when the pressures apply? When the pressure of life is applied, does the sweet aroma of Christ come out, or do people get a repugnant smell? We're told in scripture that's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It says then Jacob gets even more angry and he goes off and he, he, he starts yelling at uh, Laban and telling him, I've worked for you 20 years, you've done me wrong. And, and now look, has anyone found anything? And they end up, and Jacob ends up letting off some steam and he's right about all the things that Laban did to him. And then they're all true. But this this venting his frustration at Laban. It's not something that would make Laban go, you know what, wow, you know what? That God of yours who revealed himself to me, I want to know him because I've lost my God, but your God speaks to me. This is such an important moment. It, it reminds me of something that Greg Laurie once said that just has stuck with me, where you can win an argument, but lose a soul. Laban has lost his God. And he's angry and he's frustrated. And though he's a trickster, this could have been a moment for Jacob to say, that God who spoke to you, he's the same God who spoke to me and you can know him. But again, what, what comes out of us when, when the pressures of life are applied? So Laban answered Jacob and, and, and says, look, you know, I found everything. Really, all of your stuff is mine. But you know what? You keep your stuff. You go with your family. But here's what's going to happen. Instead of there being a, a relationship built on, on love and trust that, that God can mend. In fact, they end up building a monument and say, here's what's going to happen. You're going to stay on this side. I'm going to stay on this side. And if you ever cross this line, I'll kill you. And let this moment be a witness between you and I. You know, it's really sad because we see by Laban talking with Jacob in this moment that he, he obviously kind of believes in, in God's existence. But he hasn't placed his belief that this is the God of the universe who loves him. And there is a huge difference between knowing about God and knowing him personally. And they set up this monument and they they have their morning and, and they end up going their separate ways 
And in, in, in all of this, what, what we would we would want to take away from, from this moment is that to understand God is God and there is no other. Our God cannot be stolen or ran off with or sat on. He does not hide himself, but reveals himself. To know that how we go about following his words is seen by everyone around us and affects how they see our God. That there is this heart of, of, of envy that is, is evil and at the core of everything. And is that satanic heart that says, I want what you have and I believe myself to be better. I should have what you have and I will take it by any means necessary. It is that envious heart to put Christ on the cross. But again, he's not someone who, he made it very clear. No one takes my life. I lay it down and I will pick it back up again. And he did all of that to show how much he loves you. To those who are oppressed, to those who, who are unjustly taken advantage of, that you have a God who says, I see you, I care for you, and I love you. And if you place your faith in me, I will be with you always. It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. He has said, in this world, you will have trouble. Be of good cheer, because he's overcome this world. In our fear and our anger, we can and do make a mess of things. We're reminded this week that no matter what mess we are in, no matter what mess we may cause, we have a God who is, tells us, to you who have placed your faith in him, he is with you always. So go out today knowing that whatever God has told you to do, do it. Do it with confidence, knowing that no matter what the life circumstances around you may be for following after God, that when you live that life fully devoted in worship in every area of your life, being a worship to the God of this universe who loves you and has given himself to you, there, there you will have peace and rest, satisfaction and fulfillment. So that when the pressures of life do come, that is those things, that aroma that seeps out of our life, that the people around us would have that sweet smell and the abundance of the fruit of the spirit within us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray now that as we uh, look forward to uh, this coming evening, that God, it would just build upon just this amazing bond that we have in you for who you have made us to be. Lord, thank you that though you, you put these things out and you put the failures of people who call themselves followers of yours, Lord, we can take that to see how great you are and consistent you are even when we fail. But Lord, that, that we would see that by the recording of these things, you're not condoning and justifying sin, but illustrating and demonstrating and revealing the magnitude of your love and grace that overcomes all of that. But Lord, you bore the weight of envy so that we would know the freedom of your blessing and the truest privilege of being called your children. Father, would you fill us with your spirit? And God, that we would know that you sit on the throne confidently following after you that when the pressures of life 
apply when they come at us it would be you that they smell hear and see coming from us we love you and praise you in your son's name amen the cover to cover series is part of no mere mortal the no mere mortal ethos derived from the biblically grounded and inspired work of c.s lewis in the weight of glory you can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at SickosBeatsSuck797. My name is Bryce, and you are No Mere Mortal. <laughs>